I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, I'm at Sundance, and I am talking with a couple of filmmakers. We'll have a third one joining us here shortly. But I'm joined by the director of Twice Colonized, Lynn Aluna, also the writer and protagonist, Ayu Peter, and your story is a fascinating one to me because I'd never heard about it. And that is the, the part about Denmark. I know that they took control over Greenland, but it never occurred to me there were indigenous people on Greenland. I just it did, never ever thought about it. And so all you, you've been fighting most of your life with the concepts that the Western world, I would say, wants to put on indigenous people to be just like them. So what can you tell us a bit more about your story? Well, I, I went along with it when you're a child and you go to school and you're made to believe that education and Danish and a good education is the future. So you buy into it when you're a child. But then when you're a teenager or older and you start questioning who am I, what am I, and how come I don't speak my own language, I just feet. I I made a stop to it. I didn't want to take part in it anymore. And I went back to Greenland after going to school in Denmark, only to realize that I couldn't speak with my own mother, that I wasn't fitting back into this society. And... That was a shock to me. That was really devastating. I blamed myself for not being able to speak the language. But 50 years later, I realized, well, I was being taught Danish, English, German, French, and Latin in school. How come nobody in their wisdom didn't think to teach me my own language, about my own culture, about my, and then keep the connection with my family. So ever since then, I think um, I've been fighting tooth and nail for regaining language and culture. So you are part of the Inuit tribe, is that correct? Yeah, we are an Inuit group over the whole Arctic. There's Greenland, Canadian Arctic, Alaska, and Siberia. We are all Inuit, but we are all colonized by four different colonizers. In, in the story that I'm talking about, telling, is 
being colonized by the Danes, the Europeans, and then the Canadians on the Canadian side. Because you moved to Canada yeah. after you had, you'd been going to school in Denmark, then you went back to Greenland. How long were you in Greenland and realizing you, you missed out on your, your culture, that, did you then move to Canada? Well, I was looking at myself in the mirror when I was in Denmark, and I kid you not, I thought I was a Danish person because I, I bought into that whole story. But then I looked at myself, I looked different. Mm, there's something wrong. I went back to Greenland only to be rejected because I couldn't speak my own language. I didn't fit back in. I was so colonized mentally as well that I couldn't fit back in. On hindsight, I think, well, I could have stayed in Greenland. I could have fought. I could have suffered uh, being discriminated against. But I just got really angry. It wasn't my fault that I lost my language. It wasn't my fault that I went on to get a good education, in my opinion, for a good future. So when there was um, Inuit Circumpolar Conference going on a year after I had moved back to Greenland, I saw other Inuit walking, and I couldn't believe it. I did not know that there were other existing Inuit besides Greenlanders. I was fascinated. So I grabbed the first guy, literally, that walked the street, took him, and then moved to Canada. <laughs> okay. All right. It's always for a man. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Lynn, wh how did you get involved in this? I mean, how did you even hear about Ayu's story and want to decide to document it? Ayu, she always calls me her stalker because <laughs> we met by coincidence in the streets of Copenhagen. It was seven years ago now. And I didn't know who Ayu was at the time, but somehow I got the courage to walk up to her and invite her out for a cup of coffee. And only then did I realize what an accomplished person she is, all this work that she's done for human rights. And I was just so honored that she would take the time to talk with me. And in that first meeting... It honestly, it was a life-changing moment for me because I realized so many things about myself and the history of my country that I had never been told before. And I, I had a sense of it, but I didn't know, and I was so grateful for that knowledge that I got. And I felt a responsibility to con confront my own country with that knowledge that IU shared with me. And two years later, we started filming together. So one thing we haven't quite explained is that uh, I don't know how long the the Danes did this, but they actually required or highly suggested, recommended, that children be taken away from their families in Greenland and educated in Denmark. That's why you left. That's why you were in Denmark um, well, getting schooled. Well, in grade 2, 3, and 4, the education at the time was only in Danish. And we were made to believe that if you did really well in school and learned Danish, then you would be selected to go to a stint in Denmark. And it's like going to Walt Disney. It's like going to an amazing place because what we were reading were about trees and pigs and apples that we didn't have in Greenland. So it was just a dream. We went to Denmark, and it was amazing. Yes, there are cars there were no cars where I was living. This, yes, there's this and that. It was fascinating, 
it was an, an amazing experience. But then my father had said that I should remain in Denmark to get a further education. And that's when um, I lost my language. So, Lynn, I, you had just said you didn't even realize this was happening, that Inuit people, their whole culture was being eroded. Did you only find out through talking to Ayu? I had an idea of like some of the effects of colonization, but I think that what Scandinavia has done very successfully is to hide the, the colonization and the methods that they've been using. And... So in the history, what I was taught in school that was that uh, we were like uh, the white saviors coming and helping and things like that. That was how how I experienced that it was, um, uh, how do you call it, angled? Uh, the, yeah, the angle that they... Yes, that they were telling us and teaching us, which was not accurate at all. And it was not at all... Uh, telling the truth about uh, all of these effects of colonization and what really happened. Um, yeah. So that was because of Ayu that I that that whole door opened for me. And it was only was it last year that that uh, there was this reveal of uh, of how uh, Denmark um, went to the UN. my history is not great but <laughs> they went to the UN and somehow convinced them that Greenland is not a colony but it's part of the Danish realm which means that Danes mostly do not consider themselves colonizers right. which is a big issue because we are actually in fact colonizers and we don't like to look at our history and deal with it I want to welcome in the producer of Twice Colonized this is Emil I'm going to get your name very badly. Why don't you introduce yourself, Emil? <laughs> Hi. Thanks for welcoming me. My name is Emil Hertling Peronard. I'm a producer from Greenland, based in Copenhagen at the moment, and had the pleasure of producing this film with a bunch of other great producers, Alethea Nogel-Beril, Stacey Aglock-McDonald, and Bob Moore, and to bring this story that is very personal for me as well as a Greenlander uh, to the screen. What has being colonized done to the economic outlook of Greenland? I mean, if you look at a Western standard, we go, oh, well, they've got a Burger King there. It must be doing great. But does that really helpful to the local people in Greenland? I don't think a Burger King is helpful to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, in terms of the economy, I think there's no question that Denmark gained more from colonizing Greenland than, than Greenland did in terms of the modernization. And so many things in, that we know now in this colonizing history uh, is that it wasn't very well prepared. For instance, they, uh, the Danes, they suggested or offered to modernize the, the society of Greenland after World War II, and there was a lot of sickness, a lot of poverty, and it was actually a, a, a good time to do something because people were dying. Uh, but what they never really took into account was how much this influx of Danish workers, like building workers, would change the society. Uh, and, and so there was just like, there were so many things in, in what what you could consider like, okay, helping uh, a, a poverished, poverished society or modernizing uh, a society that, that has a lot of problems, but it only really created more problems. So we have something very similar here in the U.S. with our American Native tribes 
And even here in Utah, there's a Navajo tribe down at the Four Corners area, and they don't have running water. It's 2023, and they live on a reservation, and it's like, well, you're self-governed. It's up to you. But they need money and help. So are you... Is that the same for the Inuit people in Greenland? Are they without running water in their houses? I moved from Greenland in 1981. So I've been living in the Canadian Arctic for the past 40-plus years. But when I do go to Greenland, I notice and I see that in some smaller um, areas, there's no running water. People still have to go and fetch their own water. And... Um, flush toilets, for instance, in the smaller communities. I think um, services are um, centralized in the bigger cities on the western side of Greenland. You do talk in the movie, the documentary, that progress isn't necessarily a good or a bad thing, but it has to be done in how your own culture wants to have progress. Yeah. What type of progress as a native are you looking for? What we are working towards right now is we realize that when I was going to school and my language being taken away, that is not progress. You need to be able to look at the indigenous peoples in a community or in a country, and language is your tool, language is your strength. But progress for us is also where you are not harming the carving grounds of caribou, where you're not, cu- where you're not cutting off the beluga, where you're not killing the environment and the sustainability of where you live for progress. What is progress? It depends who is saying it. It depends if it's a Western uh, businessman wanting to develop a mining by cutting off the hunting trails of the hunters. That's progress, monetary progress. But you have to take all the factors into consideration. How do you benefit the community and how do, you, how do you employ the community that is sustainable and also progressive? So it's really, it's a fine line. For instance, in communities where there's high unemployment, where people are not hired because they don't have a driving license for uh, backhoes and big uh, mining equipment, all that is flown in where Inuit are forced to take on jobs because they are unemployed, highest level of empl- unemployment, highest level of uh, cost of living, and the elders who, who also want to maintain hunting are forced to having to have their grandchildren or their children go and work for progress, as they say. So it depends how dire is the situation. Whose lens are we using to look at the progress? For us, sustainability and being able to survive on what the land provides, but also taking part in the modern economy with our own people and their participation is very important. And that's to, that, to me, is progress. Not just one-sided and only one government being listened to, who, who is the colonizer, who is, who is imposing, without question, there's not, not even a question, who's imposing what they think is progress. I think it's important that 
these voices be told. And that's where Lynn and Emil, you come in. Are you telling more stories like this in the future? I don't do anything else. <laughs> this, is, this is what I do. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, um, I didn't realize uh, growing up as a, as a Greenlander and, and, you know, I, I had to move to Denmark to go to university and, and there really wasn't any opportunities for me in Greenland to get a higher education. So that was just what you did, you know. And it wasn't like, as, as in Ayo's case, when she was a kid and she was like more forcibly moved. But in order for me to get a higher education, I had to go out. I had to, to move away from Greenland. And so back then I didn't really have uh, any idea that I, that I wanted to work with kind of telling stories from Greenland because, you know, I, that was just my home. It was where I came from. I didn't see that as, as anything that was really important. And then living in Denmark, I really felt that, oh, my God, I was just meeting so much prejudice and so much, not even like in, out of malice, but, I mean, just out of people not knowing anything. And, and so, you know, suddenly there's this idea that forms in your head and you, oh my God, why didn't anybody hear about Sumi, which was this fantastic Greenlandic progressive rock band in the 70s. I can't believe nobody ever did a film about them. And I mean, when I think about it, you know, who would? But, but, I, but, <laughs> but I did. And, and, and that was kind of like my decolonization process, making that film and kind of like looking in the mirror of my whole existence and my upbringing and all of the things that I dealt with without knowing uh, because I, I live and I breathe and I exist in this weird col uh, colonization or post-colonization reality in the Danish and Greenlandic relationship. And it's just like, you know, you have to, to know it, to see it. Um, and so making that film kind of like just paved my way in you know realizing how many stories we have to tell and how important it is that we tell them uh, and and so yeah that's what I've been doing ever since <laughs> I know Canada recently in the last couple of years uh, the Prime Minister apologized for the the forced schooling of of the, the indigenous peoples there has Denmark ever apologized yet do you know no yeah, yeah uh, I mean in, for many, many years, Denmark was like very, uh, in, the, in principle, they wouldn't apologize for anything. I mean, this was, was like a really hard attitude. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, I mean, more and more things are starting to emerge from the, from the, from the colonization. More and more things, more and more facts emerge. And, and some of them you just can't look away from. And so a couple of years ago, the prime minister of, of Denmark apologized for a situation of uh, of, of bringing young Greenlandic kids to Denmark in a foster school system that was really full of lies. I mean, it, it was really, like, horrible. So she had to apologize for that. To the experiment, the children. Yeah, the exactly. experimental children, and I yeah. believe there were about 20 of them. There yeah. were, there's a movie out about it, mm. and it was a good movie to uh, shine the light on what these children had to go through, and mm that the experiment was a failure. Mm -hmm. yeah. So pieces by pieces, you know, people are starting even in Denmark to, uh, to realize what has happened, but there's still a long way. The documentary is called Twice Colonized, and it's showing here at Sundance, if people can still catch it, but do you have distribution yet for that? Is it gonna, can people see it somewhere else if they miss it at Sundance? 
we know that it's going to be screening at CPH docks, and uh, but we don't have any distributors yet. So we're <laughs> After Sundance, we will for sure. Yes. <laughs> it's usually so, where it happens. Yes. <laughs> All right. If people want to learn more about this subject matter or even the film itself, if they can't see it, is there a website? Yeah, it's uh, twicecolonized.com where you can read more about the film and Ayu's cause. And there's also an Instagram account. So it would be amazing if people would follow and see the film. Well, thank you so much, Lynn Aluna. You are the director of Twice Colonized. And Ayu Peter, you are the sort of the subject of this, but also a writer on the film. And then Emil something, who is the producer. Emil Hadling Peona. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media. Money Making Sense on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.